Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Hey, so today on the show, we've got Josh Cogswell. Yes. 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 And we're going to be talking about workplace ostracism. Yeah. Yeah. Tough topic, but such an important one. So what are some of the big things we're going to talk about in the podcast today, Chris? Okay. And stop looking at me like, of course, you know about ostracism. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably a flipping expert. No research required. Clearly, you've been ostracized (laughs) your entire life, Chris. (laughs) All right. All right. So (laughs) we're going to talk about what is ostracism and why does it matter in the workplace? And I mean, that broadly, why does it matter other places too, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Why it matters and the outcomes of ostracism and what leads to ostracism and implications for individuals, leaders, and organizations. So awesome. This is going to be just a great conversation. And uh, before we get to hear from the man himself, let's uh, talk a little bit about who Josh is. So Josh Cogswell is an assistant professor of management at Nichols State University, where he teaches courses in organizational behavior and human resource management. His research interests include concepts related to positive psychology, leadership, and team dynamics. Josh's work has appeared in peer-reviewed academic journals such as the Journal of Applied Psychology and the Journal of Positive Psychology. Prior to his current position, Josh spent over 15 years in leadership roles in journalism and nonprofit fundraising. Really a cool background you've got there, Josh. And he holds a PhD in management from the University of South Alabama Mitchell College of Business. Josh, Welcome to the Indigo Podcast. Yes. <laughs> this is going to be so great. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Chris. I'm, I'm really honored to be here. I, I'm uh, very humbled, too. I've been listening to the show for a long time, and the quality of some of your, your other guests makes me wonder a little bit why I'm here today, because they're <laughs> amazing folks. But uh, I really appreciate it, uh, and thanks so much for having me on today. Oh, you you bet, Josh. And, you know, you absolutely deserve to be here. And I'll have to mention that Josh was actually one of our winners of the uh, little contest we held uh, with uh, Stephen Rogelberg's book. So he contacted us right away and uh, we got to know him a little bit and we sent him a book. Um, and uh, along the way, realized that he has this really interesting area of research uh, that we're going to focus a little bit on today. And um, that's this area of ostracism. And Josh has a, he was a a co-author on a a really great meta-analysis, which for those of you who aren't aware, a meta-analysis is where you could look at results across a whole bunch of different papers, different studies, and you quantitatively try to see what's going on. That's the idea. It's a cliff notes for smart people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You get the cliff notes if you're not smart. If you're smart and don't want to do all the work, you get the meta analysis. <laughs> yeah, but but it is a really right. great way for the scholarly community to try to coalesce around some different findings given a certain topic. And so, you know, the focus of today's conversation is on this meta analysis that that he and his co-authors published in 2019 in the Journal of Applied Psychology called "The Antecedents and Outcomes of Workplace Ostracism: A Meta Analysis." So. I think that kind of brings us to this first point, which is, you know, when we talk about ostracism, what is it? Sure. Um, 
First, I, thanks for mentioning my co-authors, Ben. Um, they, Matt Howard and Mickey Smith, are uh, really brilliant researchers at, at the University of South Alabama. Um, a, a note to any grad students listening out there, if your advisor asks you if you might want to help out on a meta-analysis, the answer is yes. Yes. Um, you know, it, it may end up in JAP and it may end up getting you invited to be on the Indigo podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, um, so Matt and Mickey, uh, uh, I, I really owe a lot to them for, for inviting me to be part of this project. But um, to answer your question, Ben, uh, the concept of ostracism is a very old one. It actually goes back to ancient Greece um, in in ancient Greece, they, they actually used ostracism to exclude people who had authoritarian tendencies or undemocratic or anti-democratic tendencies. They used it to kick them out of the, uh, the democracy and the decision-making process for, for the community. God, so, that sounds um, like such a fantasy come true. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm there. Let's talk more about this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's where the, the origins of, of the term come from. And and it's been used by, by cultures throughout history to, to exclude or shun uh somebody um uh who's who's violating rules of 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 the community, of of the uh the social group. And so in the workplace context, it's a little it's a little subtler. It's it's really more um uh more about uh more subtle forms of exclusion or ignoring somebody uh somebody at work. Yeah. So uh you know Chris, have you ever been an ostracized in your life? Yeah, no, I totally so Growing up, my dad was in the Air Force, and so we would move school after school after school. And I knew that my my mind, my little mind, would be furiously racing to try to pick up on the behavioral norms in those first few days of school. And I'd inevitably have gaffes. You know, the teacher calls on you to try to include you, and you want to be like, listen, lady, don't call me for two weeks, okay? I'm still trying to figure out you know but you would pick up on that like the accent like i didn't say you know all those kinds of things um and then also just developed a penchant for books and music mm. um and i would just down the rabbit hole in that stuff and my peers just were not on that wavelength with me and and that did set up different types of social things that you know i I, I adapted and like in high school, people would say, well, he's more notorious than unpopular. Um, but so, you know, there's sort of these things, but it was psychologically really painful for me, to be honest. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people could probably resonate with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Absolutely. I'm sure. Yeah. So ostracism is this, it's a perception, right. Of being excluded or ignored at work. Um, and then, so it's kind of in the eye of the beholder, I suppose, to some degree. But uh, you know, you also mentioned that it's a it's a behavior, right? Right, absolutely. So, um, yeah, essentially, we look at it from those two dimensions. So, uh, most of the literature, most of the research on ostracism in the work literature is on that perception, right? So, Chris's example of feeling like he doesn't belong, like he's being excluded. But it also can be a set of behaviors that is uh, perpetrated by some uh, some perpetrator in your your social context. So, um, for instance, you know, you walk into a room and people get up and walk out when you enter. 
Um, you know, in, in Chris's example, when he walked into the lunchroom, maybe in that first week of school, um, you yeah, know, people total. not allowing you to sit there. You got right. it. Don't, don't sit right. here, buddy. And you're like, right. Oh, right. Where the heck? You know? Yeah. Yeah. This is the, <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah. the forest gump on the bus, right? Seats taken. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the behavioral side. So it's this, um, social psychological phenomenon, right? So it, it happens in your mind that there are psychological, uh, consequences and, and there are also behavioral things that happen that, that cause this in, in our social, uh, environments. Interesting. Interesting. So, you know, uh, one other kind of related topic or related, I guess, framework that you talk about, um, is this idea of victimization. Um, so how does, how does that kind of play out with this, this idea of ostracism? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, most of our, most of our ideas about ostracism, um, really come from this idea as we were talking earlier about how, um, essentially the group is trying to punish someone for violating the rules, right? Violating those norms of behavior that Chris talked about. And so the, the, somebody, the victim in this case, um, it would be some someone we would call a provocative victim, somebody who's provoked some sort of response from mm. the social group, and and then the group would then respond and and ostracize them or you know as a form of punishment to get them in line, right? To say you can't come back into the group until you've gotten your behavior, gotten your performance back in line with our expectations. But the other aspect of the um, victimization framework is that. Essentially, that that there are people that fall into these roles of of the submissive victim and the dominating perpetrator, right? Mm. That there are certain people that that um, sort of fall into these roles in the workplace. So uh, that in that case, the behavior of the perpetrator, the behavior of the person who's who's excluding or punishing the other person, is simply um, you know because they want to be dominant. They want to assert their dominance and their power over the other person, not necessarily because it's, it's aimed at uh, trying to um, bring somebody in line with the, the group's expectations, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like if, if you're sitting on a lifeboat, right. And, and you know, the ship's gone down and you, and they see you, you swim over and like, okay, we got room for one more, but here's the deal. We're kind of full. So our group norm is don't rock the boat because we don't want to lose the boat. Well, that's a good norm, right? I, I don't know if we call that ostracism, except it's like not being a numbskull, right? right but if, right. You, if you come in, I remember when I, I moved to, I mean, you come on, you're a University of South Alabama. When I moved to Huntsville, Alabama with my parents, you know, I, I was like middle school. I'm like, hey, man, Auburn or Alabama? And I'm like. Sure. I don't even like football. I like soccer. I mean, it's, I'm already set up for failure here, right? <laughs> like, uh, no, man, you don't understand Auburn or Alabama. And <laughs> and it's like you pick one, so only half of the state hates you. If you don't pick either one, you probably should go to Tennessee. <laughs> right? So so one, one is survival. Right, like, sure. norms aren't bad. Not necessarily. Right. But some norms are just about signaling affiliation with a group and a lot of those things and this is what we're learning with some of the anti-racism movement and a whole bunch of other behaviors that we look about women in the workplace and a whole some of these norms just you know what what, what was that movie uh, uh oh brother we're out there just make no sense right they just don't <laughs> they, they, right they're, absolutely they're pointless 
you know, who cares if you like football in the end, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, my friends from Alabama are stoning me right now. I'm going to get hate mail, but, but that's (laughs) like, but here's, and here's the other thing, right? Is sometimes, especially like, and we've all seen, maybe somebody's been like the brunt of jokes, like all the time, or they're the office, you know, numbskull. That can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So then you take somebody that's just been through this psychological wrung out gauntlet. They they have no self-esteem left. Nobody's esteemed right. them at all. And then they show up someplace and they're like, man, we really like this guy. He's interesting. He may not be able to see that love and acceptance, right? Because right. he's lost in the sauce of all the rejection and ostracism he's had for forever. And so that's this idea of like this purposeful and non-purposeful. So somebody comes in the room and it's like, oh shoot, I forgot a pen and just turns around. That guy's probably thinking, oh my God, they hate me. Right. Sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. Absolutely. And it's it's connected to really something that we all share, um, our our drive to bond, right? Our need for belonging. It's a deep psychological need we all have. And we all possess it to to different extents, but but we all need to belong, right? So um, you know, Back in in our early days as humans, you know, the guy who wanted to fight the woolly mammoth by himself, his genes probably didn't um, pass <laughs> yeah, along. Yeah, he either to the made a tribe of, right? of, of like insane warriors, <laughs> or not going to play anymore in the human gene pool. Right? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> the woolly mammoth so, won. <laughs> that's right. So. Yes, yeah, social connection is is central, central to our our uh, survival as a species, and so it's it's very important to each of us. And so, to the extent that we, we yeah, we walk into a room and and somebody somebody walks right out, uh, we we sort of start to question ourselves and think about why did they walk out? Am I am I you know not one of the in group? Am I not part of the group? Mm. So. In some cases, you mentioned non-purposeful ostracism, purposeful ostracism. In some cases, for instance, with purposeful ostracism, we're deliberately trying to exclude someone until they've gotten their behavior back in line, right? Whereas non-purposeful is, is something that we perceive in our environment. So, so you walking into the room and, and people moving their, their lunch trays, maybe, you know, they, they had no intention to, to exclude you, but you feel excluded. You, you perceive yourself being apart from the group. And that can have some really, um, important consequences, even though the people on the other side may not have intended for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's just so interesting to think about this in the context of, of the workplace, right? We've kind of been talking a little bit about um, as a kid, maybe going through school. And certainly that's a, that's a huge just minefield of ostracism and popularity contests and all that other gunk that oftentimes gets caught up as goblins and gremlins in our memories. Uh, But it also plays a big role in the workplace because the workplace is another one of those places in which even all of us as adults oftentimes get some fulfillment of our socio-emotional needs. And, uh, you know, when we feel ostracized, either purposefully or not, um, it can be painful, I imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, and, and that's, you know, that's primarily we've studied it from the perspective of the victim and we found a lot of really interesting stuff. And, and this is 
you know, going back a long way, a lot of other researchers have, have looked at this. But there are a lot of really important personal outcomes uh, related to ostracism. So, for instance, um, literally, you know, people have they've done MRI studies uh, looking at the brain while being ostracized. So, you know, people were asked, for instance, to play a video game where they were passing a ball around in this video game, and and the person was ultimately excluded from the game, and the same. Uh, regions of the brain lit up that light up when you're experiencing physical pain. And so it's it's truly physically painful to be excluded, even in a minor instance like that of this, this ball tossing game. It can be very painful. And, you know, we you've heard of the cold shoulder, right? That's a that is a ostracizing behavior, right? Where you you turn your shoulder to somebody, you you ignore them, you you're silent. Uh, toward them, well, people have actually reported feeling physically colder, having been ostracized. So the cold shoulder is a real, uh, real phenomenon. I, I I don't know if you you guys have ever uh, experienced that. Uh, yeah, in I... life and marriage and at work. <laughs> the well, cold sure. shoulder, like yeah. there's no loving for you tonight, buddy. I'm going to bed. The kids wore me out. <laughs> no, that's not ostracism. Ostracism. Yeah. That's just reality. Yeah. But yeah. let's talk about that. There's three pieces in this victimization model, right? Yeah. We've got mistreatment, incivility, um, and actual ostracism. So let's just go down there for our listeners. Let's start off with mistreatment. So de- sure. define mistreatment here. Uh, so mistreatment is 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 really a broad category of uh, behaviors that that are des, you know designed to to hurt or mistreat another person in, in the organization. So think of things like uh, verbal harassment, even physical assault, all the way down to these subtler things like gossiping about your colleagues, telling you know rumors, spreading rumors about them. So mistreatment is this big sort of umbrella of all kinds of different behaviors that are that are meant to um, hurt or or uh, exclude or mistreat someone. Incivility is a little more subtler form of that. It's um, essentially behaviors that violate social norms are often subtle and they're low intensity in nature. So things like the gossip that we talked about, um, you know, excluding somebody, not inviting somebody to a meeting, that that might be more uh, incivility, interrupting these sorts of of. Um, behaviors would be incivility. But ostracism is a specialized form of of these types of mistreatment, and it's it's again it's also subtle, like incivility, um, and it's often ambiguous and low intensity in nature. So somebody might do something to you that you think is excluding you, but it's it might be ambiguous what their intent is. Right. Mm-hmm. So you you talked earlier about somebody walking out of the room because they forgot their pen at their desk. Well, if I'm the person who's left in the room wondering where you went, your behavior is a little ambiguous to me, right? But I may interpret it as uh, you're excluding or ignoring me. That's that has plausible, plausible deniability. Man, right, I don't, right, I don't know what you're talking about. You're just insensitive. And then you say it with right. a body language that's like, go jump in a lake, Jack Wagon. You're like, I knew it was ostracism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's much more ambiguous. It's harder to sort of um, figure out. And, and you know, mo- people who theorize about this, 
believe that we we have what we call uh, a very overly sensitive detector for ostracism mm. because it is so important to us to belong to the social group. Um, we over detect instances of ostracism. So when you walk out of the room to go get your pen, you know, I, I might think that's a very ambiguous. Oh, he maybe he's just walking out to get his pen. But my brain immediately, because I have this this strong need to belong, it's going to start thinking, "Gosh, why did he leave?" Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, it, it's going to start turning those wheels in my brain. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And you know, as you were talking about these different types of you know, the mistreatment, the incivility, and ostracism, it was it just made me think. You know, the the very subtle nature of some ostracism almost makes it worse psychologically in some ways because it's it's like you're trying to figure out and you don't really know but you're kind of maybe uh hardwired to kind of have a bias towards thinking that it is ostracism and it just messes with you it's like hey if someone comes up and punches you you know kind of what's going on <laughs> yeah but, you're like, but if it's right. this if it's this other stuff it can just be really icky because you know we as humans we just don't really like ambiguity and uncertainty to a large degree and um, when it's un uncertainty or ambiguity around how you fit in with a group, that that just sounds, um, and, and I'm I'm sure the research seems to uh, to suggest that it's just it's it's like we said, painful, uh, and uh, has some pretty negative outcomes. So while we we started talking about it a little bit, why don't we turn our attention there to to some of these uh, outcomes of ostracism? You know, you you've mentioned how uh, it actually you know has similar outcomes to pain, like when we witness someone who's going through ostracism, the cold shoulder. Um, what are some of the other things that we know from the research on outcomes of ostracism? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. As you, as you mentioned very uh, well there, it's corrosive, right? It's corrosive to our psychological health and well-being. Mm -hmm. It's corrosive to groups um, in terms of holding groups together um, and, and organizations um, as well. So uh, we found that, that ostracism was related to a wide variety of, of negative outcomes, right? So uh, performance, both your in-role performance, but also your OCBs. I think you guys have talked a little bit about organizational citizenship behavior on the podcast in the past. Yeah. Um, all those sort of extra things that you do to help the organization above and beyond your role, uh, people are less likely to, to do that, to do those things when they've been ostracized. Um, there was a positive relationship with counterproductive work behaviors. Um, so people sort of act out and they, they act out in negative ways when they've been ostracized. So that idea that we use ostracism as social control, uh, where we, we're trying to improve people's behavior or get it back in line with social norms, it just doesn't hold up. It's a very ineffective way of, of helping people to perform better. Yeah, yeah, it's um, bull. Yeah. It's yeah. freaking bull. Yeah. And let me tell you, so people talk about gaslighting, right? Mm -hmm. That's where you trick somebody. It's like, hey, man, I just saw a red car go by. And everybody saw it. And you're like, no red car would buy. That car was blue, right? And the people, it's crazy making. Ostracism is a physical gaslighting. It's not just verbal yeah. and mental crazy. I mean, this is actual psychosocial group, in-group, out-group. I mean, this is a physical reality gaslighting. And in my view, it's a type of violence against the individual that's insidious. It, it takes therapy a while to cure. And it, it, just don't do it if you're doing it. it it's not, 
if you learn that from some parenting behaviors or your family of origin, let me just tell you, you got to dump that garbage. It's unhealthy. It's bad. Don't do it with your kids. And anyway, yeah. So, and so and, even, over and even though we might be, uh, you know, ev- from an evolutionary psychology perspective, hardwired to do this to people who aren't conforming to our norms as a management tactic, this is not good performance management, right? You, you don't use ostracism to show somebody that they're not performing well, right? Yeah, this is like a Lindsay Absolutely. Lohan movie, Mean Girls, right? Remember that <laughs> ostracism. I mean, if it was corny back then, it's corny now. So don't do it. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Right. So, so those are some of the ways that, you know, that, that ostracism is, is just a bad idea and, and doesn't work, but it, it goes beyond just role performance. It really hurts people psychologically. It, it's affected to uh, people's self-concept and, and their self-perceptions, their, um, psychological well-being, their uh, emotional state. So um, it goes beyond just those those work-related things. It's it's related to a wide variety of, of negative psychological outcomes. And you know, ultimately, from an organizational perspective, it's also related to turnover. And mm-hmm. so turnover, as you guys know, is expensive and it hurts the company. And so, um, you know, to the extent that you're really forcing people out in this um, ostracizing way. You're forcing them into the out group. Well, they internalize that and they then want to leave the organization. And so it can, it can really hurt the organization and uh, hurt the individual and spill over into their private uh, life as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we kind of have a word for that in the world of human resources. We call it constructive discharge, right? This is when you are making the work environment so intolerable that a person quits on his or her own accord, right? So if you're using right. ostracism to do that, shame on you. It's a moral Absolutely. failure. And we only have to add the cash incentive because there's lots of moral failures in management positions. So if yeah. you only care for the money, I mean, just stop doing it. We'll take the result no matter which way. But you just got to you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Another good episode of ours, by the way. Indeed. Indeed. Right. So, so there's all these negative outcomes of ostracism for us personally, for our fellow humans, for their own psychological well-being, for their performance at work, certainly for their perception of the organization and, uh, you know, for their intention to remain even part of the organization. Um, so maybe we could talk our, a little bit now about, you know, okay, so what leads to ostracism and maybe what are some implications that we should really take away um, either as you know, individuals or some things for leaders and organizations here? Sure, absolutely. So, um, so there are a few things we looked at. We looked at um, the first being personal characteristics. So personality, you know, we, we looked at the Myers-Briggs type indicator. Just what? kidding, what? guys. I know you. I, I know you're big I fans. Of say, I, I have my <laughs> box just of rocks Chris. here, ready to throw. Like yeah. eat these yeah. tomatoes. You know? <laughs> Chris, uh, Chris looked like he was maybe, uh, maybe not paying attention. So just wanted to make sure. We're about to see <laughs> some non-citizenship done. behaviors happen on this podcast. <laughs> well played. <laughs> um, so now that you guys are paying attention, we did look at some of those characteristics um, uh, in terms of the big five personality yeah. dimensions, and so there were there were some modest um, modest uh, uh, correlations there. So uh, ultimately, I mean, what we were looking at again is is 
perceived ostracism or, or the experience of, of perceiving ostracism on the part of the victim. So this is this is people reporting that they've been ostracized. And so uh, we found that there was a correlation between, um, uh, for instance, uh, neuroticism and uh reporting ostracism. So people who are less emotionally stable report, you know, tend to report a little bit more. Um, uh, extroversion was negatively related. So extroverts tend not to be as, as ex or at least perceive themselves to be as excluded. Um, agreeableness. So people who don't like conflict, who want to get along, they're going to be less likely to maybe to perceive ostracism. They're probably good at kind of ingratiating themselves with the group, right? And then uh, conscientiousness was negatively related to reports of ostracism as well. Mm. So, um, so those were some of the personal characteristics that did um, that did matter to, to reports of ostracism. Interestingly, we found no um, no correlation with things like political skill. So your ability to kind of read the political dynamics and align yourself with mm. the right. Uh, faction that that was unrelated uh, need to belong and, and future orientation had no um, no correlation there so all of this really matters because you know we've tended to focus again on the victim and the victim's perception of being ostracized and really what we need to focus on as as an antecedent or a, a predictor of ostracism is actually uh, leadership. So leadership was most strongly related with uh, ostracism. Um, LMX, so your your exchange leader member exchange, your relationship with your supervisor was highly negatively correlated with being excluded or or ignored by the the group. Yeah, nobody um, craps on the boss's pet. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like, dude, yeah. Steve's in with the boss. Don't yeah. hack him off. Well, they'll, it, they'll, they'll be smoking and joking out back. And be like, yeah, that Paul guy, get ax him. He's horrible. All right, yeah. let's do well, that. We'll go back in. And even going beyond that, I think that you know, oftentimes the way we characterize leader member exchange is as a an index of relationship quality between a leader and his or mm. her followers. And so, if you have a leader who has high quality relationships with each and every one of his or her followers, then sure, you're going to have less ostracism. And that's really good. Um, you know, one thing that, that you know, we talked about when we were preparing for this episode and just thinking about this whole idea of leader member exchange and ostracism is how, you know, there is a phenomenon that happens in groups if you're not careful as the leader, where you might start to kind of create some in groups and out groups. And maybe it's on purpose because you're a devious jerk uh, don't do that. But <laughs> or you it, don't know better. Right. Or you don't know better. Yeah, but, it could sure. happen, but it could happen kind of unintentionally, you know? So for example, maybe some of the people who work for you just have a bunch of, a lot of things in common with you. Maybe they like the same sport or uh, went to a similar university or something. So you talk with them about those things and um, just kind of develop a better relationship with them compared with the others. That starts to kind of create these in-groups and out-groups though. And, you know, I, what I'm wondering is, you know, that how, how might that play into some of this ostracism, maybe from a non-purposeful perspective? Great, uh, great point. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, leaders can create what we call these fault lines, right, between the, the different subgroups in, in the organization. And, um, and so leaders do need to be very careful at how they interact with people, how they, um, how they work with people. 
and uh, who they who they're close with. So I had a I had a boss one time. It was a great lesson to me. Uh, we had a lot in common. We hung out and watched baseball together. Um, um, when he became my boss, he said, "Hey, we we can't be quite as close as we used to be. I need to be a boss to everyone." And uh, it's and not I, you, it's me. <laughs> right? I couldn't. You know, it in was very way. strange. Yeah, it was very strange to hear that, but um, but it was a great lesson to me um, and something I tried, uh, did my best to um, to live out as a, as a manager was that you know everybody needs to be part of this team, and everybody brings uh, something important. And I think as a as sort of a, an architect of the, the the culture of your group or the culture of your organization, uh, leadership really needs to think about you know, the strength of the culture, if it becomes too strong, um, it, it becomes, uh, you know, sort of a cult, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Where the leaders, you know, uh, people are just vying to be close to the leader and, and other perspectives, other people who may not fit in um, are, are excluded and, and part of the out group. So, so that's something to be very careful about. Um, I also, you know, I think it's interesting. I, I, I I don't know. I think you guys know this about me. I have a a, a visual problem, so I have a, a visual a, a retinal dystrophy that's causing me to lose my central vision. And I thought a lot about in the process of of whether to disclose this to people, whether to talk to people about this. And ultimately, I had I came to the realization through listening to some some very smart other folks who who came before me in this regard that said you you've got to tell folks because you're going to walk into a coffee shop and you're going to see somebody you know and you're going to walk right past them mm. you're going to have somebody in your class so i have students who i'll see who work at the restaurants i go to in town and i i don't recognize them because i have trouble seeing faces and i have trouble with certain visual tasks and so I know as a researcher on this topic that ostracism hurts people. Mm. And if I'm going to walk out the door and, and accidentally hurt somebody's feelings, I, I mean, I can get defensive about it and say, well, I didn't mean to. Right. Um, but that's, you know, that's what my seven year old says when he, when he breaks something or spills some milk. <laughs> right. You know, he, he says, I didn't mean to. Well, you know, it doesn't matter because it still hurt their feelings. It still caused them some pain. So I, I try to be as as um, transparent as possible and and remove that that uh, non purposeful ostracism from the equation. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a very powerful and and good personal example of that. Um, and being mindful of these potential ways in which you could unintentionally be doing harm to other people. Uh, and you know, if you're in a leadership position and you're, you know, creating these in groups and out groups, not a good thing, um, or any other way in which you might be, uh, intentionally or unintentionally, you know, creating these, uh, these dynamics in a group. So, uh, I guess that kind of leads us to this idea of, you know, all right, so leaders are very important with dealing with ostracism and with, uh, potentially, uh, keeping it from happening as, as frequently. Um, what do we do if we are being personalized or ostracized? If you personally are being ostracized, what do I do? Um, how do you kind of maintain your mental health? Um, what are some, maybe some strategies that the research would suggest are helpful for you? 
Absolutely. Well, so one of the things we found in our study that that we think is important is social support, right? So your your social support systems are there people you can go to to lean on in these these times when you're you're having this difficulty if you're if you're being excluded from the group. So uh, so we think that that your social support can be a very uh, important thing to lean on to give you resilience when you're. Um, psychological resources are being depleted uh, by these these experiences so you know lean on those those social support structures you know both from a personal perspective but also from a professional standpoint as well um, you know you, you build a good network of, of colleagues and, and friends in your industry that you know you can reach out to and that idea of, of saying you know yeah this group here that I'm working with is excluding me they you know I, they, they don't you know, for whatever reason, uh, want me to be be part of this group, understand that you're a valuable professional and there are probably plenty of other groups out there that would want to have you. So uh, leaning on that professional support network is, is really important as well. Um, the other thing I'd say is, is, you know, you guys talked a little bit about, uh, about this self-concept uh, and, and your, um, sort of the sense of having a complex uh, self-identity, right? So having lots of, playing lots of different roles. So I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a, a Cub Scout leader, I'm uh, involved in a, you know, in church, whatever, whatever you're involved in, you know, have a very complex self-identity that allows you to sort of say, well, if I'm being excluded from this group, I'm part of plenty of other groups that see my value and that that really um, I'm contributing to and, and really a part of. So those are some of the things I, I think I, um, that, that really uh, resonate. Um, I know Chris has mentioned in, to me in the past, to, uh, to us in the past, the idea of differentiation and Chris, I'll toss it to you if you want to. Yeah. So I do this all the time with executives and this comes from the personal psychology literature, but I think it's so applicable to anybody that's navigating the work environment. Or if you're heading up the ship to your point, the manager, Hey, can't be, I'm the man now can't be hanging out, watching baseball every day, playing favorites. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's this idea and you can actually help your kids when you're raising them to be able to stand on their own two feet and not be to be able to be themselves in the presence of others and not be infected by others, people's emotional states. Cause sometimes you come in and there's a neurotic person there or somebody that's having a hard time or maybe depressed or something. And if you're always thinking, Oh my gosh, what did, what did I do? This person is happy. It's all my fault. It's me, 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 me. Like you are, you are now on this roller coaster ride at the behest of everybody else's emotion, and it doesn't give yourself stability. But I've seen people walk in, be the excluded, ostracized person, stand on their own two feet, you know, self-validate the kind of person they want to be, stick to their moral compass. And like a vortex, everybody comes in and starts falling. Even th now that person's setting the norms for the groups, right? But, but that person was more differentiated than those around them. And so if you're in a leadership position, you're going to helm an organization or group of individuals. You can't, you got to be your own person and guide. Now you want to learn the norms you know, you might use those as a tools to accomplish certain missions, but it's this idea of 
being on your own two feet. Now, there's some people that are such loners, they're probably over differentiated. We don't. <laughs> and it's a fantasy to think that you'll be so differentiated that you have no need of others. Matter of fact, if you're seeking out that kind of differentiation, not only are you missing out on a massive part of the human experience, that opportunity to mm -hmm. really be connected with the people around you. The, the sweetness of life. This is all the humanities talks about this. This is what culture is about, is that connection piece. So you, you don't want to, if you're seeking that out, and it's like, I will not be effect, infected by anybody. I will be a robot automaton. No, you're going too far. That's the wrong idea. And also, just for some grace for yourself, you're like, man, if I was more of the ultimate executive, I could just, you know, not be bothered. We all have different psychological profiles. We, our hearts can be moved and frustrated. Ben and I were dealing with a situation this week with a friend and wishes, wish that friend had reached out in a kind way and they had not. And it, it kind of burned a bridge and it, it hurt us. You know, like you, you see the, the mobster in the mob movies, right? They're like, no, oh, we'll fit them for concrete shoes. It doesn't bother me. But that's not true. That's a facade for most people. So as we navigate life, we both have to stand on our own two feet, have a moral compass, discover who we are. That will give us resilience. It doesn't mean that our feelings won't get hurt. That'll give us no. a resilience to chart our That's course right. and keep a clear mind. Don't go for the robot approach. You want to keep <laughs> that soft. So, but anyway, I, I yeah. think our listeners got it. I, I yeah. love differentiation. You, you need to check that stuff out. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point to make and a good part of this conversation. And, you know, one thing I'm also wondering and thinking about as we're talking about, you know, if you're being ostracized, uh, you know, we talked about how, you know, Josh, you mentioned, you know, it's a good idea to maybe focus on trying to improve that relationship with your supervisor. So as long as that supervisor isn't kind of doing it on purpose, um, you know, I've talked with, I've had students who have had situations and I've been around other people who have where it is the leader and that supervisor is intentionally uh, ostracizing or creating a toxic environment. Um, so, you know, maybe we could brainstorm a little bit. So if, if you're out there and your boss, your supervisor is intentionally ostracizing you, um, you know, maybe what are some things, some strategies that, uh, that punch him in the use? face. <laughs> the first time, and you can't wait. Don't do it on the second time. You're like, oh, are you ostracizing me? I mean, pick up a stapler and a heavy book. No, no, no. We're not advocating just, any. Just any fantasize kind of about it. Don't yes. actually do it. Yeah, you could go to it. HR first. Talk That's to right. HR before you pick up a heavy book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that it's a good point, right? You, you there are resources in your organization usually. Right. Um, be it through your human resources department or, um, you know, maybe it's your boss's boss that you need to talk to. Uh, sure. And, you know, those are, if, if, if it's not going to work out, like, you know, that's an, a time when it's totally okay and appropriate for you to jump the chain of command, so to speak, right? If, if it's not right. working out. Um, so, you know, otherwise it, it can be really hard to, to live under that kind of environment. Absolutely. Yes. But especially if it's that purposeful ostracism, you're, you're probably in a, in a dysfunctional, uh, supervisor employee relationship. So yeah. I think your point going, going to the boss's boss is a good one, especially, especially if you're aware of the cultural values of the organization. And mm. if, if it's a very aggressive place and the values are around, you know, um, 
you know, performance and challenging, uh, you know, it's, you're going to have certain behaviors. People are going to behave in certain ways that, that uphold those values. If, if you have values of dignity and respect and you're not being respected and you're not being, uh, made to feel part of the group, then, uh, then that supervisors is violating the, the corporate values, the organization's values. And so, um, presumably if, you know, others in the chain of command above that individual would want to know that a supervisor is not living up to the corporate values. So that that is a, a good example, Ben. Yeah. So I want to share a story about punching in the face. All right. Since we're all <laughs> over here. Okay. So I, I changed schools so many times. I was kind of like, okay, this is the part where I'm the numbskull that's excluded. Right. And generally what I do just to avoid it is just seek out, you know, the other ostracized people right away. And, you know, I went to a lot of Christian schools and I could say, wait a minute, that's not the Christian way to act. And you kind of throw some of their values back in their face. And it's like, why aren't you guys more friends with these guys? If you don't want to sit at their table, I don't want to sit at yours. Right. Good offense is a nice defense. I remember I was at this one Christian school. Um, it, it was in Huntsville, Alabama. We had actually just moved there. And it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is like the South for reals. And so I'm there. Nobody talked to me for four days. They would just look, point and laugh and cold shoulder. And so like I was sitting at the far end, it was just like, well, at least I'm not getting physically harassed. So in those first few days, everybody knows that dynamic of where do you end up sitting for the whole school year in the same spot that gets established in that first week? Because I don't know, the pecking order gets established. Some I don't know what the stupid stuff that goes on. <laughs> I'd like to sit someplace different each day and talk to, you know, pass notes and get in trouble with a different person, you know, equal opportunity type numbskullery. So um, <laughs> I'm sit, I go to sit down in this, this chair and I'd sat in here for the last, or I sat there for the last three days. And this guy, he's on the football team. He comes over and he's like, Hey, you're sitting in my chair. And at this point I'm done. I'm emotionally taxed. I don't have the reserves to not say something. And I'm like, well, I didn't see your freaking name on it. And he <laughs> dropped his books and just kind of was like, I didn't even hesitate. I took my textbook and I went, bam, right up the side of his face. And I'm going for a one, a two, and I'm about to land a third one in his face. And then I'm looking up at the ceiling. <laughs> I'm like, what, what happened? Well, thankfully it wasn't him. It was another one of the football players that pulled me down from behind, you know, and I was kind of like, you know, a couple seconds, like, you know, seeing colors and stuff teacher comes in all right guys to the office so we go to the office and it, it's the football coach is the interim principal and he's like you can tell he doesn't want that job <laughs> he's like oh god a disciplinary thing i gotta do and it's one of his football players which was good and he says all right so what happens and i just told him, i said listen nobody's talking to me at this school and you know this place could go jump in a lake christian school my rear blah 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 and then it's like is this is this true what happened he's like well, you know doing the timid leg looking at the ground <laughs> so he can't lose his good football guy right i know this is such a long story ben will probably have me edit it out no, but um <laughs> he he said all right you guys got to sit and do lunch together for two weeks. And then I want you to write a paper on each other's life. <clears throat> and so there it's me and the football guy. Now, now I'm not sitting by myself at the lunch table. Right. <laughs> wow. But after that, it reset the dynamic. People started talking to me. Wow. And, and I, I, that's probably not in the literature. Like 
using physical violence to stop bad <laughs> LMX behaviors. But there's these ideas. You're, there's a script that everybody's running on of ostracism. I've seen executives to where it's like, if I don't see that guy fire somebody in the first month of taking that role, I don't think he's decisive enough. What's that based on? I've seen military officers say the thing, if he can't be a stern disciplinarian, well, what if his team is awesome and high performing? That sometimes you got to break these scripts. And I, this is not in the literature. This is just completely anecdotal. You, you've, people behave on these rails. They're used to these social norms. And sometimes if you can interdict those social norms, introduce new values, paint a new vision of another way forward, you know, those things could be helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'll be sure yeah, not I'm to. Not. I'll be sure to let you sit wherever you want to sit. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to. You, you've got you. You have a I lot of. I will not be ostracizing. Uh, I, I've got yeah. again. I was more notorious and popular. If I know about the downtrodden and what to do with the downtrodden in organizations, it's because I was that guy. You know. Yeah. So let's Absolutely. all right back on topic. So <laughs> let's talk about what leaders should do to avoid ostracizing others. And let's let's talk about it both intentionally and unintentionally. Sure, sure. So we talked a little bit earlier about how some people think that using ostracism as a way to um, sort of modify other people's behavior is a is an effective way. Our research and you know, which obviously is based on a lot of other people's research tells us it's not. It's just not effective. So don't be a numbskull. Stop doing it. Stop, you know, stop using it as, as an attempt to modify people's behavior because it's going to be counterproductive. It's not going to get you the results that you're looking for. And you guys have talked on the, sh on the podcast a lot about, you know, firms and organizations don't invest in leadership development. They, um, they just, it's a, I think you said, Chris, one time, a monkey see, monkey do approach to mm -hmm. learning leadership. And so you see other people use these behaviors and you're like, well, you know, I don't have anything else in my toolbox. So I'll pull out ostracism. Well, ostracism doesn't belong in your toolbox as a leader. So, so don't use it if you're, if you are using it purposefully. Of course, there are people who use it purposefully just as a, a way of dominating or, or showing power over others. They're probably not listening to this show, right? Because, you know, those are people who yeah. don't want to see other people flourish, right? <laughs> so um, I, you know, those are maybe more uh, HR interventions where um, the organization can do a better job maybe of selecting people for leadership roles. Um, you know, as Ben mentioned, uh, looking for supervisors who are uh, not living up to those values of inclusion, those values of, of you know, sort of making people feel respected right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so there may be a role for hr there to to improve those practices and um and focus on really good leadership evidence-based leadership um pra uh, leadership development and training practices yeah. uh, so that would be from sort of the intentional side what the organization might do um to help leaders get better and not use this as, as a tactic on the unintentional side, we, we see a couple of things. Um, and, and again, the, the literature here, we're extending, this is sort of theoretical at this point. We haven't, we don't have a whole lot of empirical evidence on this side because we, um, we're really just developing measures to figure out how to measure unintentional ostracism or non-purposeful ostracism. Because we can't so, read minds. <laughs> 
Yeah. Right, right. So we're trying. Uh, so we're trying some some ways to develop some measures that that might capture this a little bit. But you know, until we've until we've got more empirical data, what we think are a couple of the things that lead to uh, non-purposeful ostracism are time pressures. So, um, so you think about a boss who's really busy, and this is I've done this before as a manager, and I you know think back to conversations where people got their feelings hurt because I just walked past them in a hallway. And, you know, in my initial reaction, when somebody said, you know, I think somebody got their feelings hurt because you didn't talk to him this morning. My initial reaction was, well, I was busy. I was really busy. I had a lot of time pressure. I just couldn't talk to him. I didn't need to be bothered. Right. Well, that is not a way to react. That minimizes the other person's feelings. And really, it doesn't take responsibility for your own behavior, your own actions. So, uh, so to the extent that if you have time pressure uh, in your in your life as a leader, you know, it's it doesn't excuse being busy doesn't excuse being rude. Right. So think about that and think about how uh, when you are feeling very busy, when you uh, are maybe potentially ignoring some of your people, you know, how can I carve out five or 10 minutes uh, to, to recover that? that opportunity to, to go back and talk to that person to, you know, check in with them, see how they're doing. How do I work that into my schedule as a leader to, to really help people, people feel included? Um, the other, uh, the other piece that we think is related to this unintentional ostracism is this idea of, um, uh, diversity actually. So what, what I'm talking about is cognitive diversity. So mm. the way we all think about, or have different mental models about what's appropriate behavior. So, Chris, you might have been. I need uh, some working, better ones uh, of those, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so for instance, if you're in an IT position, right, at, at right. one firm, and you're called in to fix a projector during a really important meeting, in that in that setting, the social norms might be for the CEO to introduce you around to the people in the room and talk about how great the IT department is and, and really help you feel included. In, you walk into the, your next job, you move to a different organization, and you're called in to fix the projector, and everyone ignores you and just assumes that you're just in the background you're the doing help. what you need to do. You're the help, right. Those are two completely different social norms, and you might feel ostracized in that second setting because you've not been included, but it's just not the way they do things in this uh, in this new organization. So you have different mental models about what's appropriate behavior, and that can lead you to feel ostracized even though um, even though you haven't necessarily been. So this in is this why case, differentiation is important in my view. Absolutely. Because you just don't know. You need more data points and some initial interactions to form. These guys think I'm horrible or I'm all right. right. I just, you know, they're different over here than my last place, right? That that differentiation, Absolutely. if you focus on that personal resilience, you're not going to be as infected. And that's going to give like the organization. So if you're a leader, you get to take a pause of, ooh, I can't blaze down this hallway to my next meeting and be like, Hey, Fred, I'm, I'm in a hurry, but let me check you after I get out of this meeting. You know, like, okay, cool. You right. have those tactical pauses. Differentiation is a tactical pause before you let yourself go through that gauntlet of hurt, shame, and, and, and the pain and the rejection, right? That is a great, that is a great example. Yeah, great way to put it. And, and as an organization, so that would be on your own personal level. If you're feeling ostracized, 
you know, lean on your differentiation, take that tactical pause. As an organization, what we can do is create better socialization practices when we bring new people into the organization. So help them understand not just, you know, where's the bathroom? How do I get my parking pass? You know, uh, put them through the sexual harassment training and the ethics training, but really give them a sense of what are our values as an organization? How do we treat each other? What are the cultural norms in this organization? Really, um, really help people understand through that socialization process uh, what, what it is appropriate social behavior. That's fantastic. You know, one thing that also that I've been wondering, thinking about this idea of ostracism and how you can prevent it is, you know, it's right now we're in a crazy time where many people are, many more people are working from home, working remotely, and that's probably going to continue for a while, um, you know, either because COVID will continue or because organizations realize that, hey, this actually works pretty well. We don't really need you to be at the office. And yet so much of our socio-emotional well-being sometimes comes from our interactions with coworkers. Uh, so I, I don't know if we, I'm sure we don't have any research on this yet, just because it's so new. Um, but, you know, with regard to virtual work, uh, you know, how can maybe leaders do a, do some extra stuff, perhaps to avoid uh, unintentionally, perhaps ostracizing folks? Sure, sure. This is yeah. This is a really interesting question. Um, so my wife is a, a virtual worker. She was a virtual worker before COVID, mm. and so she was interacting primarily with people back at corporate headquarters, and she felt ostracized a lot because people just wouldn't think to invite her to a meeting, right? Or you know, bring her into a conversation at the at the front end where she could have some input in things. Uh, it was always at the very last minute, oh, yeah, we should really tell Aaron about this. So out <laughs> of sight, out of mind kind of thing. And and so she felt that a lot. And so there is, I think there is, uh, go, there are going to be many consequences for uh, sort of team cohesion, team trust in this virtual world. It, I'm, I'm sort of curious to see what the literature does come up with because, uh, there's a difference between a virtual worker who's interacting with people in the office and a, a situation which everyone is virtual, right? Right. Um, I th do think there is some initial evidence that people are more attentive to, to sort of task-related stuff in the virtual world as opposed to the interpersonal type stuff. Mm -hmm. And so there might be a little bit of a loss of that, that connection. Yeah. But I, yeah. you know, it would be very overly speculative of me. And as sure. a, a researcher, I, d I don't know what we'll find, yeah. but no, I, um, I do I, think I, it brings some interesting dynamics. And I absolutely appreciate that. I think, you know, probably one thing that we could say um, for sure is that you're not going to do any harm as a leader by reaching out to your folks on a regular basis. All of your folks, don't not just a couple of them, reach out to your folks on a, a regular basis to see how they're doing. Right, that can't mm -hmm. hurt in a virtual environment or a uh, you know a non-virtual environment. So um, you know, take care of your people, and they'll take care of you. I think is certainly a takeaway that all leaders should take uh, with regard to this. Um, so, Absolutely. you know, I, the other thing that you had mentioned, and I think was, was worth mentioning with regard to, you know, dealing with ostracism is just, you know, this role of social support and, you know, kind of building that, that, um, group, you know, those various groups that you're a member of and finding those people who support you for being you. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's really important. Um, I mean, not just in the workplace, but, you know, in life in general, um, you know, psychologists, you know, over, you know, these long longitudinal studies find that, you know, one of the the most important things to longevity in life is social connections, right? Mm -hmm. And having these complex social identities, having, having uh, strong family and social support systems. And, you know, even even if you have, you know, come from, you know, challenging family dynamics, right, you can find your people, right? You can find your people, the people that, that help you uh, feel strong, that help you feel confident. And, um, you know, really, in, in cases where you're, you're feeling excluded from a one certain group, go be part of that other group, right? Go, go lean on that other group for some of that belonging and some of that support. And you'll be much more resilient. You'll be better able to differentiate yourself because you've got that platform, that foundation to build upon, right? Yeah. We, we need connection. No, no person should be an Island. Now there's a, there's a lane, a left and right limit there, but that is where the sweetness of life is. You know, the campaign I think about is the, um, the LGBT campaign that it gets better. You know, there right, lots yeah, of problems yeah. with youth suicide for young queer kids. And it's a shame. Same thing. If I, you know, I found my group with the software development crowd. You know, we just got dumpster diving for manuals and writing code. And, you know, I'd go to school and that wasn't what most people's jam was, you know, but that was fine. Find your people. They're out there. Um, or mm -hmm. find somebody like Ben that'll put up with you. <laughs> maybe maybe I, I i try so you know this has been a fantastic conversation and you know some things that we've talked about today is we really introduced this idea of ostracism and talked about why it matters really greatly in the workplace uh, we talked about some of those outcomes of ostracism at the individual and the organizational level and then we've unpacked uh some of these different things that lead to ostracism and some of the implications that it has for uh leaders and for people in organizations so uh you know josh uh anything else that you want to share with our listeners or uh where people can find you maybe on the web sure well um uh, thank you guys again for having me and uh, really think this is an important topic as we've talked about you know the importance of inclusion right and um you know to me inclusion is 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 really important um from a personal standpoint, but, but a social organizational standpoint as well. So, so thanks for inviting me to have this conversation with y'all. Uh, if you, if you want to reach me, find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to, um, happy to connect with you and talk to you more about this, uh, or any other, any other topics related to, to organizational psychology. So, um, thanks again for having me guys. Josh, it, it is an honor to have you on this show and and this research i mean obviously we all got emotional during this episode it's just so important and to put yourself out there and to do research in this space is really making the world a better place so they, we're humbled that you came and we're our guests thanks thanks chris thanks for listening to the indigo podcast if you like this podcast please consider helping us by rating us on apple podcasts or wherever you listen telling your friends about us having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.